Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, fire, flammables, an album that bumps eternally. And today, we'll be deep diving together into the second and last studio album by Amy Winehouse, 2006, Back to Black. For most of us in the U.S., Amy Winehouse seemingly appeared out of nowhere in the fall of 2006, sporting a beehive do and raspy croon, singing about rehab, and backed by veteran hip-hop producer Salam Remy and then-up-and-comer Mark Ronson. A year later, and she was one of the biggest pop acts out there, with Back to Black racking up all kinds of awards and legions of fans intrigued by Winehouse and her team's old-made-new style of songcraft. 60s girl group and R&B influences never left the U.S. or U.K. landscape. You can find those touches in every era over the last 50 years, but rarely had a mainstream artist in the 21st century been so deliberate in blending those inspirations into their sound. Of course, retro soul artists like Sharon Jones and the Poets of Rhythm had already been doing just that since the 90s, but the trio of Winehouse, Remy, and Ronson were able to take what had been a super niche genre and turn it into a winning pop formula, especially with Winehouse trading in doe-eyed tales about love and romance for biting satirical tunes about avoiding rehab and paying off the weed man. Within years, maybe even just months, Winehouse began to turn into a cautionary tale about mental health and addiction. And by 2011, she was gone, dead of alcohol poisoning at just the age of 27, never having recorded a proper follow-up LP. We'll talk more about the legacy of her life and career later, but the memory of Winehouse I dwell on the most was from March of 2007, when I drove out to the Roxy in Hollywood to see her perform. She hadn't yet crested into stardom, and the space and the crowd was still intimate and small enough that I can look back now and realize how special a performance it was. She performed a select set of songs from the album, even sprinkled in some Lauryn Hill by singing a bit of doo-wop, that thing. Winehouse didn't seem nervous or overwhelmed by the moment. She was just a bright new pop act on the rise with a fun, irresistible sound. If only things could have stayed that way. Back to Black was the album pick of our guest today, the sibling duo known as Van Jess. My job is to be tapped in and stay tapped in. As a music supervisor, I not only place the hits, clear the hits, but first things first, find the hits. In the case of our guests, they found me. This was the song that came through in shuffle. And what a day that was. Searching for a minute for someone to draw me in. Imagine how I felt hearing that on that day four years ago. Since then, Ivana and Jess found everybody. 
Katronada, Goldlink, Ishtar, and RCA Records. From high school talent shows to jazzy-infused covers on YouTube to the now sound of their 90s aesthetic, these two are amongst the best and the brightest of this new school of R&B. And like the great poet Lynn Collins once said, it takes two to make a thing go right. It takes two to make it out of sight. So I'd like to welcome the two of y'all to Heat Rocks. Welcome to the show. Hey, wow, that intro. Thank you so much. That was so lovely. Thank you for coming. So as we do about this time, we want to ask why Amy Winehouse and why Back to Black is your Heat Rock? So first and foremost for me, Jess, this was the first album that I ever bought as a young um, person. I looked up to Amy so much. Um, I thought there was just such an honesty in her voice and the way she wrote. I just specifically remember going out to like buy the album and it, it really inspired me in every way. And they're just, there's art artists like Amy Winehouse just don't come often. You know, she was just very special. And I, I feel so like blessed to have been able to like, be aware in the time where she just kind of like had her rise, even if it was very like bittersweet because of all the personal things she was going through. I love Amy so much. And uh, so it sucks that she left us so early. We were talking before we started taping about the fact that you all bought this. This is one of the first albums you bought. And so we love knowing under what conditions, like where'd you buy it? What format? Right. No, like, and and I don't want to act like I'm the only one because Ivana obviously, <laughs> like we both like loved the album. But no, yeah, I remember the stores don't even exist anymore. It was the Virgin, um, what is it, Virgin Music Store, right? Mega Store, right? Yeah, yeah. that was at yeah the local mall. Um, I just remember it was like after school um, one day, uh, like one of the times we were at Ontario Mills, I think was the mall <laughs> in the IE, and yeah, I just it was it's crazy that those don't exist anymore but it was like this huge record store and um yeah i remember just going listening on the headphones and being like Mm -hmm. let me buy the album let me buy it i have to (laughs) what format you get it on like just the normal cd okay Uh uh-huh and um that was like the time where you know everyone would like either like burn the cds or like you would just actually like have it (laughs) wow burning cds uh Right. Like we like I remember back then it would always be about like having burnt CDs, different songs on the like like you would you would buy like empty CDs and then burn different songs on it and then play it in your friends' cars or right. make mixtapes and pass it to your friends. Right. That was like the thing in middle school. Everybody had their lonely. <laughs> so I was like, I don't wanna do that for this. I gotta actually buy it. <laughs> so I Can I ask just your first impressions of her voice? I usually ask this. Was it love at first listen once you heard her voice for the first time? And what, as singers, what were your early impressions of, of her voice? What are the special things that Amy Winehouse did vocally that appealed to your to your young ears at the time? Yeah. No, love at first listen. That's such a interesting way of putting it because I, I really I actually do believe in that because I think all my favorite artists 
it's always that where I'm just like, who is that? Like that voice. Like it's just, it was definitely like that with Amy for me. Like when I say she, it's literally like her, Corinne Bailey Ray. Like these are the mm. artists that I looked up to so heavily. Like just and and again, like with people like Whitney or Mariah, they were like OGs. So there was already a familiarity there mm-hmm. where, you know what I'm saying? So there was never that like very pure, like I just discovered you type thing. But yeah, no, it was definitely love at first listen. I think if I could say what about her voice, the, the deepness of it, I think first and foremost, me and my sister are definitely like contra altos when we sing. And we always felt like, there wasn't many like mainstream singers who sang like lower. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that's just like been a thing for me is like whenever I would hear a female vocalist that had like that tone, it would always spark my attention because I'm like, oh, that's rare. Like that we don't see that. And that would inspire me because I'm like, that's like, you know what I mean? Like the way we sing. And so that's definitely like an element of her voice that resonated with me is like how low it was. She did a lot of really cool jazzy thing when mm-hmm. she would perform live she would she would like sing her lyrics and also scat them at the same time exactly. and I actually feel like Amy was like like the first to really like stylize you know vocally because right. she would like enunciate in a way that nobody was doing at that time and I feel like a lot of people are her children right now Oh, yeah. You know, like, I, I think there was a point where people would, like, say, but now it's like, I right, like, we need to, like, really start to emphasize the fact that. Yeah. That stylized you know, vocal. That stylized Amy. vocal is truly Amy. You mm-hmm. know, like that, like, introduction, bringing back that jazz sound to mainstream was Amy. And I don't hear a lot of a lot of the younger artists today um, scatting it's one of those things that sort of belongs to a time so when I do hear yeah. a younger yeah. artist scatting and who comes to mind right away is is um is, is Jasmine Sullivan because she scats a lot yes um, Jasmine. Um, oh, another great yeah another yeah. Uh, yes killing and yeah. that and her tone is killer but if you guys yeah. um, get a chance to find this or if you haven't heard it already but if you if you hear her if you hear her cover Jasmine Sullivan's cover of round yeah. mid, round midnight it is um mm-hmm. uh, it is something to see and her scatting on there. So yeah, to your point yeah. about Amy Winehouse having a lot of children and a lot of influences out there. Um, I certainly see yeah. Jasmine Sullivan influenced by a lot of people, but she does have that scatting, yeah. scatting acumen in her pocket, yeah. like Amy Winehouse. Yeah. So. Midnight comes around. Listen here. Morgan, what was your first impressions of, of uh, Amy and what did it come on? You know, I actually heard Frank first. Mm. Yeah, the usual in the States, because I feel like that album had zero, yeah. zero penetration in the U.S. Well, you know, the, yeah. fir- the first person that played um, a song uh, from Frank was that I heard was was Garth Trinidad. And he played in my bed. Makes sense. And uh, I just loved it because it sampled Nas Made You Look. And I was like, oh, my, uh, wh- whoever yeah. this is and whatever this is, I'm, I'm in. Mm. And, and Christian, if you could just play play a bit of this so the, so the girls can hear. Wish I could say it breaks my heart Like you did in the beginning 
and for mm-hmm. for me that was love at first listen because the marriage yeah. of so, of a of a track that was just so hard and already one of my favorites with um her you know her jazzy inflections and her tone i was like this is yeah, fire mm-hmm. whoever this is i want to know everything about it about her and yeah. so so frank was my introduction before we even got to uh to back to black one of the things that has always struck me about about Amy Winehouse in particular, and this has certainly been in the years uh, since her death, is that there has been just an absolute stunning amount of books, movies, and et cetera, dedicated to her. Yeah. I, I didn't realize until prepping for this that not just one of her parents, but both of her parents wrote biographies of Amy Winehouse. Mm-hmm. And of course, there was a 2015 documentary, which yeah. was really well uh, received. And at, at the risk of sounding you know, insensitive to the tragedy of, of her death, I guess I've never quite understood the obsession that exists around her. And this is not to take away at all from the excellence of the music that she made. Um, but personally for me, I don't necessarily, I, I, I like the album. I thought she was a, an, a really interesting talent. Of course, I'm, I'm bummed that, that she died so young, yeah. but I guess I never connected with the levels of sort of cultish fandom that um, have existed has yeah. existed around her and not to put the two of you on the spot but do you have a sense of what you think that appeal is about that that she has loomed so large oh, within yeah. our memory 100% I mean I could I could tell you right off the bat during that time especially around like 2006-7 that was that era where the paparazzi and the kind of celebrity obsession was at its peak yeah, that man. was like when it was very invasive and very like toxic to the point where people weren't treating these celebrities as people. Because remember, 2007 was also when like Britney had the breakdown yeah. and like yeah. it was, you know, the shaving the head thing. Like, and, you know, that's another person that has all these think pieces and all these things about her and her fame and, and just and I, I almost feel like in some ways it's 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 like a sense of justice that's trying to be gotten and trying to kind of almost make sense of why, um, you know, people kind of almost contributed to the chaos that was her life because they did, you know, and um, yeah, that's an element where if you put yourself in the position of like her parents, for instance, it's like, we have to continue to tell this story and we have to like, you know, especially now I feel like in the culture we do live in at this time and point in time, you know, and over the years, there's a lot more knowledge on just how the media can can really just um, make just people who are suffering like mentally or whatever, just make it even worse. And I think, mm-hmm. again, for Amy, it was very much that it was like the media saw her as a train wreck that they just wanted to like, you know, exploit. And they mm-hmm. did that. She was on every, you know newspaper or not newspaper um more more like magazines tabloids tabloids. every second every two seconds the interviews the harassing you know I think I I read about how like in in one of her last moments she went outside and like someone was like oh I just needed a picture and she was like at one of her most like dark moments or something like that and you know what I mean like so I feel like maybe my guess is just again it's it's kind of just trying to understand why things were the way they were back then and, and kind of how that did lead to what it did for her, like how it made it worse and maybe just trying to bring awareness to that and, and, and really just being able to kind of look back and be like, that was not cool the way people treated her. 
like the media really did her wrong, you know. I don't understand why do I stress the man when there's so many real things at hand. We could have never had it all. We had to hit a wall. So this is inevitable withdrawal. Even if I stop wanting you, that perspective pushes true. I'll be some next man. One of the things that in prep for the chat, I was reading a lot about about um, Amy's influences. And I think a lot of people have their theories about, you know, about her influences, but she said them quite a few times. Um, Ella, Dinah, Sarah. See, these are the, some of the artists that were that were big to her. For whatever reason, mm. whenever I listen to Amy, you know, sometimes they say about fragrances, the top is a certain scent and the bottom is a certain scent, the middle something else. Uh, she may have mm. Dinah and Sarah at the top and bottom, but in the middle, I always hear Lauren Hill. Is it just <laughs> is it just me? Uh. Do you guys hear that? I, hear that influences or see the similarities? You know, I I never thought about it, but I'm I'm trying to like replay in my head like Lauren versus like her voice, and I I could actually see that in some ways, like because to be honest, they both have that very like that rawness to them to their voices. Sure, where you're gonna hit those and the, and the jazziness as well, yeah. and when you're kind of tapping into those like you know spots in your vocals, there's gonna be places of overlap. So I definitely could see that. Also, I I could also feel that way through production. Exactly. I think yeah. their choice of production is quite similar. You know, like when I think of Amy, I hear woo woo right. I hear you know piano chord ding ding ding. I hear and that then, for then, Lauren like, too. Beats, you know, yeah. you know real hip hop beats like you know mm-hmm. samples. You yeah. know, I I feel that way. Like I hear like when I listen to like Amy Winehouse, I wouldn't necessarily envisioner has a british woman i would see like oh, right new york you know that's what's crazy america you know morgan to your point because i had um recorded my album intro before we started as a group here but one of the things i mentioned um in my intro about um that performance i saw in the spring of 2007 she actually performed part of doo-wop that thing oh, and wow. so she clearly was a yeah I, I wish i wish i could have found that because some people had taken um you know early early uh, uh video or, or cell phone video or iPhone video, I should say at, at the show, but I don't, I, I couldn't find it an instance where they had recorded her performing. I don't think she did the whole song, yeah. but, uh, and I had forgotten that, but I had written down notes uh, from the show and had written, you know, someplace there that she had performed a little bit of doo-wop. And so to y'all point, yeah, you know, everyone, what, what y'all are saying, yeah, she was a, definitely a fan of Lauren. And I think yeah. um, the points that the, 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 the two of you are making is spot on in terms of you listen to sort of what, uh, Lauren was working with in terms of her musical influences when she put that album together mm. and it totally would make sense that you listen to the sound of not just Back to Black but also going back a moment to what Morgan was saying about the sound of Frank yeah. and those influences I mean you, I mean, look you're working with Salam Remy who's one of the golden era <laughs> hip hop producers you're bound to get parts of that and obviously if you, anyone who listened to uh, Mark Ronson's production yeah. pre Back to Black, Ronson was very much on that tip as well. So oh. all of those things, you know, work together very well. And so yeah. and Salam Remy produced all those songs for the Fugees. So it would make sense that you would hear um that that, exactly. that Lauren Tai. And in fact we have a clip of Salam Remy talking about uh Back to Black. You put this album together, and how many of those songs did you end up doing? I did six. Six. Mm-hmm. You put this thing together. Do you have any idea what's about to happen? 
No, I didn't know that it was going to be that big. I knew that it felt special and that she was in a zone, but I didn't know that it was going to be, you know, that impactful for everyone. She, I knew that I thought she was really good, and anyone that met me around the time, you know, when I did her first album, I was working with her, I was working with Josh Stone, I did some sessions with Gwen Stefani, and I was around certain people doing movies. So I would be playing her music all the time because I was just really into this girl from London. She's 18, listen to her. It'd be there. So I knew it was good, but I didn't know, you know it was going to sell whatever, 20 million or whatever, plus whatever it did in, in the long run. I didn't know that yet. Imagine not knowing uh, what, what type, yeah. of, type of a hit that you have um, on your hands. But I like the humility of Salam Remy and also, too, that, like, you know, what he states is that at 18, she had this voice. Some, you know, also in prep for this chat, just reading that she didn't re even really start listening to soul music until she was 13. And the first artist she listened to was Otis Redding. Mm. By the time she records Back to Black, she's only been listening to soul music for 10 years. So add that to some of the magic around her voice and, and, and her influences. Um, I just thought that was really yeah. interesting. The success of this album set off a mini wave of similar production. So I'm thinking, especially on the on the level of, of big pop artists, Raphael Sadiq comes out a couple of years later uh, with an album that's also very much resonant with these 60s Motown R&B styles. Mm. Solange puts out uh, similar stuff around that. But of course, you know, a lot of the influences that Amy was drawing from, and, and obviously her choosing to work with the Dap Kings wasn't a coincidence because... Um, her or other folks in her team had been listening to what um, the Dap Kings and Sharon Jones had been doing for the decade prior. And I, I know hypothetical questions like this are extremely hard to answer. But in this case, I think because with Amy in particular, issues of race and of appropriation um, always shadowed her success. Um, and the, the, the kind of question that I think has been brought up is, would she have blown up in the same way if she had been a black girl from Brixton as opposed to a white Jewish girl from Southgate? Um, and I feel like the latter on some level, and I don't think it explains the at, at all the entirety of her popularity, but I do think that she stood out to people partly because she subverted expectations as someone who has what you might describe as sort of like an African-American you know, dialect affected voice, but coming from someone who, who isn't black. And she was at least earlier in her career was, was put into a, the same lineage as previous blue eyed soul singers. Uh, you think of like Tina Marie or Janis Joplin or Dusty Springfield, uh, especially from the British context. So I'm wondering to what extent you feel like she benefited from kind of, and this goes back to our discussion about the way in which the media plays a role that there was a kind of a fascination around her um, for kind of racially passing as, as a vocalist, whether or not you think that that was legitimate as a way of explaining at least part of her appeal? Well, I mean, I think that there's, I mean, we can't deny the fact that, yes, you know, especially at that time, there was this, I remember it was like with like Duffy and Adele yeah. was kind of popping up and, yeah. um, and it was this like white soul singer from the UK thing that was happening. Um, and I mean, yeah, I don't, I really don't think that if they were black women, it would have gone 
the exact same certainly not um but at the same time i do think that regardless of like their race it would still have like regardless of amy's race right like if i if i was blindfolded and i'm just hearing her i'm going to turn around and say who's that you know what i'm saying like right it's not as if i'm like oh you're white so i'm going to listen um but i think that it's more so the so so just as far as the music because again you, music doesn't have a face right but when it comes to the aesthetic to your point like the visual and the package of you know a petite white woman who you know at the time that kind of very skinny look was in the Lindsay party girl thing was very Mm -hmm. much like the thing in fashion and media that was very much the thing so she really actually fit the bill aesthetically of what was going on then now it's it's the Kim Kardashian kind of big lips whatever vibe but it's crazy to think back then it was no the skinnier the better yeah you had to be like it was like real thin you know mini dresses you know she was party girls in the you know the Lindsay lohan flashing her underwear and the cat like you know that whole vibe was like the thing in the media so i think that just and i don't even think she it was intentional she just kind of fit it you know what I'm saying? So, of course, I think that definitely played a part in the media attention the, the or the mm-hmm. maybe I'd say rather the mainstream attention. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think back at th- that time, I was so young. I was so much younger than I am now in my awareness. <laughs> my awareness. Right. We, we all we all were. We yeah. all were. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but like I just remember seeing her and not, you know, you know, Oh, she is a white woman yeah. from who is Jewish or British. All I knew was they tried to make me go. I was like, Ugh. right? You know, that's, that's really yes. The music was gonna. The music was gonna hit regardless. Yeah. Um, you know, but then I think later on I started to see like, oh, okay, like she a little swaggy. Oh, oh, I see. Okay, I'm I'm understanding a little bit of like like the rough ends you yeah. know of like who this who this woman is and then I start to listen to the lyrics and I'm like okay she's really gritty there's there's a lot yeah. of soul here but that's the thing it's soul it's just soul mm-hmm. that's it on that note let's take a break here and we will come back to more of our conversation about Amy Winehouse's Back to Black with Van Jess after a brief word from some of our sibling Max Fun podcasts keep it locked <laughs> I, I can remember as, as a child thinking it was odd that here was this can full of meat. I'm Jesse Thorne. This week on my show, Bullseye, David Letterman on shame, regret, and canned hams. Is this the best delivery version of, of pork? That's this week on Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Congratulations, you've won a ticket to attend an exclusive opportunity in a relaxing environment with two lovers. Wow. (laughs) Well, this sounds like a sort of proposition of sorts, but really it's an ad for our podcast. (laughs) Wonderful. 
It's a show we do here on Maximum Fun where we talk about things that we like and things that we're into. I'm Rachel McElroy, and you just heard Griffin McElroy, and we are excited for you to join us as we talk about movies and music and books. Things like sneezing or the idea of rain. (laughs) (laughs) Can you get news or information you can use? Absolutely you cannot, because we're here to talk to you about pumpernickel bread. You can find new episodes on Wednesdays. So catch, catch the wave! Yo, and we're back on Heat Rocks talking Amy Winehouse's Back to Black with Van Jess. So even though I said, you know, asking hypothetical questions is kind of whack, I'm going to ask another one, (laughs) which is if Amy had lived and had gotten herself healthy enough to have become a functional recording artist, where do you think she would have gone musically over the course of the 20 teens? Because I always assumed that if and when she had come out with a follow-up LP, it was not going to sound like Back to Black Part 2. I, I just got the, especially if you look at the, the differences between Frank and Back to Black, you can see some of the progression, but they're certainly not copies of one another. And Amy did not strike me as someone who would just run it back again if, if given the opportunity to, to kind of push things in a different direction. So I'm kind of wondering if, if the two of you have ever given any thought as to what kind of sound you think she would have moved towards um, if she was still mu- making music, let's say, today in 2020. That's a really good question. Yeah, um, I think that you're absolutely right when you say that she certainly doesn't seem like the type of artist that would just kind of repeat herself just to be like, let me get another platinum, whatever. Right. Um, so it's it's very hard to say. I, I think I think that it would really depend on whatever producer she was working with. Like if she was mm-hmm. working with like Mark again, then it would still have that clear vintage, like, you know throwback sound i could see her having getting more into hip-hop collabs like i I could see her Mm. he still was around today doing more of those like oh amy's on this song type type records because she she didn't care like she would just do whatever so i definitely think she would probably take more risks than we think musically i don't think she'd be on some edm record or something i think it'd be (laughs) but i do think it would be you know, we'd see her collaborating with with probably maybe some more um, uh, more of the more modern hip hop artists. I could see her and her and Cardi as a duet to- team oh. would have been kind of killer with their voices. Wow, oh, nice! Can you imagine, sure. man? But see, yeah, because this is this is weird. But I think about because the, they're completely different. But you know how MIA yeah. now and again will just be on someone's record, and you're you just look, oh, MIA is on this. Interesting. I feel like Amy might do that too, where it's, she'll be, she would just pop up out of nowhere on people's records and you'd be such surprised to see her on them. Yeah. But then also, would she even put out another record? Because she could have pulled a right. Warren and been like, I'm out. That's actually, that's actually what I was, you I know? was going to say. Like, I actually would see Amy taking a bit of a break getting herself together obviously and then putting out some sort of live you know album with different covers of like her favorite songs just doing amy um and then you know doing those like kind of obscure but like really intentional taste records mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. really dope you know hip-hop artists like i yeah you know doing some erica badu type stuff yeah like, like a, a erica lauren you know, ting. like yeah. like some 
like you you she'd pop up at like a DJ set, you know, and like or at um at Art Basel or something, and, and then just freestyle, you know, and just like you know. And then by 2030, when she needed a check, she would definitely have done a holiday right, uh, but... song album. No question. But that would have been like mid middle aged, you know, Amy Winehouse, not. Uh, yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, I'd like to I'd like to think uh, I'd like to think and, and I wish I, I wish that I didn't have to have to dream about this because I wish she was still here. But I would like to yeah. think that Amy Winehouse by now or if not by now, would be moving into the original song lane. So whereas Adele's always showing up for the Oscars, I think that would have been, no shade to Adele, but I think that Amy Winehouse would have gotten herself on one of these films and uh, yeah. and gotten an original song, an Oscar for original song, or been in the running. James Bond yeah. uh, movie song. Like they, they would have picked her, no doubt, at some point. A hundred percent. And outside of that, just from... You know, watching the documentary and watching her with Tony Bennett, I think later on she'd be doing her jazz album covering all of the artists, right. either one of those, Dinah, Sarah, Ella, um, or Billy, yeah. uh, or 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 all of them on a cover on a cover album. So that's I, I'd love to see. I would have loved to have seen her go deeply into jazz. Yeah. You know. So bringing us back to back to black, let's get into the songs again, and let's start off with for the for each of you, what is the fire Wee. track off of that album for you? Honestly, I think the one that always, for some reason, makes me really just in my feelings and emotional and, and really takes me to a different place is Back to Black. Funny enough, it, between Back to Black and Tears Drive on My Own, mm. just because I think those those ones, those records that were really about like heartbreak on that album were the ones that like, like just about like the way she felt about it if that makes sense like her perspective of being left and done wrong so we are history the shadow covers me the sky above the place lonely lovers see he walks away the sun goes down he takes the day but i'm wrong and in your way my blue shade. for me on that on that project that I always went back to wake up wake up alone is the one like right off the bat when you said this I that was the one for me it's okay in the day I'm staying busy tied up enough so I don't have to wonder where is he got so sick of crying so just Morgan, how about you? It's hard because I love I love this album, but the song there's a couple songs that I keep bumping, but the one that that I feel strongly is "Love Is a Losing Game." Yeah, yeah. that one does it for me. Uh, not just because of the way she sings it and her vocals, but it's poetic. I mean the the you know the words you know played out by the band "Love Is a Losing ha Hand." I mean that sort of stuff. The the lyrics are just poignant to me. I feel like I, it's hard for me to 
constantly go back to these songs because it it's sad that she's not here you mm. know and it was so tragic because the music was connected to how she end how she kind of ended and um it just makes me so emotional when i hear these lyrics because i remember how much i would play these songs and mm. when you played this it just reminded me how much i truly loved this particular song also there was really no song that amy had that didn't touch you just mm. crazy that people don't sing like this they don't write this way it's it's really like when people say they're sad it's it's just like well I'm sad as a trend. Like, let me just kind of write this. <laughs> right. Thing. You know, yeah, like it's, it's, it's like contrived. It's, it's, it's not real. And, you know, there, I, I, I can't remember when it was, but I remember telling Jess once, like, I can't feel people's vocals anymore on when I would listen to the radio. I'd be like, I can't feel anything. I don't know what's mm. happening, but music just started to lose its, the soul in it just telling me that this is coming from a genuine place. Right. back to black mean to you guys well i mean in prep for the chat i was reading that she was talking about you know sort of like hinting about depression that she was going <laughs> back into this dark place um of dealing with her feelings and emotions so that's what back to black meant meant to her that's what that's what i interpreted or i always interpreted black to mean like blackness is just like i'm i'm like done like i'm out like i'm in the deepest darkest of places right. right i guess i guess that's why it's so interesting that you know the first track is rehab right and it's such a upbeat song i tried to make me go to rehab i said no 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 yes i've been Well, it's funny because I was thinking about in terms of, you know, my absolute favorite Amy Winehouse song is really not one of her sadder ones. It's one of the ones that I would consider to be sort of more joyous, at least in feel. I guess I'm trying to run the lyrics through my head to make sure that it's not like a deeply depressing song. (laughs) But I mentioned it in the first half, which is Valerie, which of course is not from this album. It's from Mark Ronson's uh, version, which came out in 07. But because they were so close, I always kind of, you know, want to wedge it into Back to Black. Um I, I had never heard the original version by the Zettons and it's fine, but like, I just thought that Amy killed it. And you know, there's many different, there's at least three different versions of, of the song out there with different backings and, and yeah. all of them I, I just think are great. And just the verve that she brings in is, is so fantastic on Valerie. However, if I am going to limit myself to Back to Black, I think the fire track for me is He Can Only Hold Her. Mm. 
has on an album filled with irresistible grooves. This is one of the most irresistible, um, you know, saying a lot, which is saying a lot for this, this particular LP. Uh, and in particular, I think partly it's because I just love the way in which her, and I'm pretty sure this is one of Ronson's productions that they interpolate the Iceman's killer ballad from 1966, which is my girl. She's a Fox, which is a song that a lot of different soul artists I'm right off the bat. I know John legend has used it. It's been sampled a ton of times and it's not as obvious in terms of how they flip it on here, but like that Iceman song is magical and anything you do with it is going to sound pretty good. And I think he can only hold her as one of my, um, if not the favorite, at least one of my favorite ways in which people are playing, uh, with that Iceman uh, tune. Da, 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 da. Na, 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 na. This also then leads me into the next question here for everyone, which is about people's favorite moments off the LP. And Morgan, I want to go back to Love is a Losing Game because the beginning of that song is my favorite moment on this album. I mean, this is one of those cases where I think the Dap Kings shine so well as musicians, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Winehouse, who wrote the song, or from Ronson, who produced it, but the guitar combo of Binky Griptight and Thomas Tienek, TNT Brennick, uh, they do so much of the great work just to set the tone and the atmosphere at the beginning of the song. And I mean, there's a lot of moments I could have chosen, so this is really one like the first amongst equals, but... I just love, love, love the way that that song opens. Morgan, do you have a favorite moment? I'd say the beginning of Just Friends mm. uh, because you don't know what you're in for, um, the way that it starts. And I love that the song ends up becoming really dubby and Scott's like the Scottalites wrote this song. And you don't know what you're getting into. It's just like a slow wine, slow burn. You could step, you know, your parents could step in the living room. And then a couple of, you know, a few more bars in, then it be, then it's up tempo. And like I said, it's very Scott Dubby. And it doesn't, to me, doesn't sound like anything else on here. So that's my favorite moment, the beginning of that song and what it turns into. Yvonne and Jess, how about the two of you? It's so hard because you guys playing those, it's just, that's, those are my favorites for sure as well um you know i'm thinking about how a lot of the records would just kind of start and and felt very just live feeling because they would just start right at the top like obviously rehab just it gets right into it to draw my own it's that way as well but i still have to say back to black there's something so iconic to me about the way that song starts with the piano the you know what i'm saying like Everything about that record to me just, it's a classic.
and also too the breakdown in the bridge how it kind of replicates a heartbeat it's like boom 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 Morgan, I kind of, I got into my, I, I, I got my life because when you played that, it just reminded me of how many times I would run that moment back. Yes. Like I would run that like 30 times. Like I, I didn't even realize how much that intro influenced my whole, like what I listened to on a daily basis, like Moonchild. Oh yes, yes. That that intro, goodness, the instrumentation. Ooh, they they did that. Oh yeah, <laughs> we yeah. Too good. And we actually we actually had Amber on the show from Moonchild. She was on the wow. show, uh huh. And she picked. Was she so picking out an Outcast album? Oh no, she picked King. She picked. Um, yes. yeah. yeah, she picked King. Okay. Uh huh. She wants King was her heat rock, so she wants to talk about King. This might be sacrosanct to even ask this, but is there a song off of here that the two of you would would deign to cover? And if so, what song would it be? We can't sit here and pretend we haven't already covered these in talent shows and karaoke's right. and all sorts of situations. Uh, oh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! We, we need we need the dirt on this. So, what have you sung no. in talent shows? Oh, oh my goodness! Are you kidding? Like. Yeah. First of all, for me, tears drown my own. Oh, yes. um, you know when because in our school we would do these uh, things called solo fest, um, and you would just like pick a song to just like solo. So I I literally ran through <laughs> her whole discography. Um, it's actually crazy. Um, yeah. I we, um in in jazz band I would do Mr. Magic like Amy's Amy's version because they would play the original. So I, in order to sing it, I would sing, sing her version. But just, I, I, I honestly feel like Valerie is, is the, I, isn't that, is that, that has to be the most covered yeah. song ever. But it's if what what we would cover now if I had to pick, yeah. I'm just thinking, Valerie would actually be fun because I think that's one of her talking about her funner records. That was it. Really is, yeah. Have. It really, really is, um, yeah. But Valerie would be would be definitely be really fun. Um, man, it's me, me and me and um, Miss Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones would be mm. interesting just because it's like kind of slower and she really has like the vocal oh that would be crazy you had to um to describe this album in three words what would they be euphoria mm. 
Raw. Mm, one more. Melancholy. Mm, mm. Um, think peace, chilling, inspired. We always want to leave our audience members with something else dope to step to. So if you liked Back to Black, we have some recommendations for what you should check out next. I'll kick things off. And at the risk of this being very low-hanging fruit for what I've been talking about throughout the episode, I would recommend for another album from 2006, go and play Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, 100 Days, 100 Nights. Not trying to stir the pot, but the Dap Kings uh, do not get asked to be on Back to Black, if not for the work that they put in working with Jones since the late 90s. Uh, and I always think it's it's relevant to respect the architects because you don't get to Amy's album if you don't start with what Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings had been putting down for uh, many, many years prior to that. Morgan, how about you? Uh, my first instinct was to say, listen to, to Billie Holiday's Velvet Mood, um, going back to 1956. But I would also, but I would want people who aren't as familiar with Amy Winehouse to start with Frank. So I would say, if Back to Black was your introduction, listen to Frank and see where it all started. He makes me imagine it from bad to worse. My weakness for the and for our sister duo here in Van Jess, what what album or albums would the two of you recommend that people check out next if they were really into hearing Back to Black? Honestly, Corinne Bailey Ray, um, her first album. I guess it had an opposite vibe, and it was very feel good soul to me, um, and very much. It gave me the same types of euphoric feelings, but in a more of like a blissful way. And it it was a lot more love songs, obviously, like Like a Star and Breathless, Till It Happens to You, Trouble Sleeping. There was the innocence about it, but it also had like the jazziness and the rawness, I think, that um, you know, you kind of get with Amy. Um it's 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 obviously not as melancholy, but I think if you appreciate Back to Black, you, you would appreciate Corinne Bailey Ray's first album. No, I don't know anymore. It used to feel like heaven. It used to feel like I would definitely just say some Sade. You know, I feel like Sade's voice has always been so, like, moody, very chilling. But the instrument, when I'm thinking of, like, the instrumentation, that's, like, the vibe that I'm getting. Because even though Amy was a bit more doo-wop sort of instrumentation right. with sure. the 
moving keys and but I do feel like you know Sade is what came to my mind just in general any Sade song any Sade album Also, I also am like, if I could say like new school, I would say Snow Allegra. Mm. I hear Amy's tone in her vocal and just the production as well. It has some Amy feelings to it. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our guest, Van Jess. Thank you girls so much for coming on and sitting down with Oliver and I. Um, can you let... <laughs> I was so excited. I was just like, I couldn't wait. I was like, oh my God, I'm such a fan. So thank you guys for... Um, of course, thank you for having us. This we, was, we appreciate that. This was amazing. I'm going to replay back to back now as I go yeah. to bed. <laughs> yes, yes. Tell people where they can find you on these interwebs out here. Well, yes. You can uh, find us at Van Jess. Everywhere Instagram. Or where? Twitter. Check out some of the music. You know, Peace and Love and SARS. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.